First family, it is a joy to be with you today and to have water on. Can we talk about anything besides broken pipes today? When we were singing, I'm, I'm going to see a victory, all I could think about was the pipe that we replaced this week. That the gracious hand of God has brought us back the water that we needed. And praise the Lord that he has. That's not why we came, though. It's to talk about the victory of God's people as Satan is thrown down to earth. That's what you heard my friend Justin read from Revelation 12. Let me just give you a little teaser now. We know how this works out. Our God wins and Satan loses. Gosh, I thought I'd do better than that. I thought you would do better. We know how this works out. God wins and Satan loses. This is good news, friends. It means that we don't have to worry about how this all shakes out. Our God's already won. We've read the end of the story and we know that Satan is lost. Friends, this, this is the essence of our hope. See, a lot of times we get so fixated on our own journey that we think God came just to take little old us to heaven. Now that's true, that's true. There's nothing wrong there. But there are two elements to that that I want to add. One, God did not simply come to take you into heaven. He came to transform your life, to make you into his image, and to shape you and mold you in a way that would bring glory and honor to him. Two, the victory that God has is eternal in nature, and he doesn't need you to accomplish it. Don't get so fixated on who you are that you forget this victory is for God and his people as a whole. It's people of all time. When we talk about war like we will today, we are reminded that war is an awful and ugly thing. I know some of our church family served in Korea and Vietnam and Iraq and Afghanistan. We know and if we needed a reminder of how ugly and awful it is, we've seen it in what's happened between Russia and Ukraine just this year. We shouldn't be surprised then when we find war in heaven being ugly and awful. When we open our Bibles again to Revelation 12:7, we see that a war in heaven has erupted and its outcome. Its outcome is certain unlike what happens in Russia and Ukraine. Its outcome is certain even before it starts. Let me read it for you again. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. Michael and his angels wage war against Satan and his demons. Here we have the two sides. The heavenly angels and the dragon meet head on. The satanic forces push back hard as the war widens and this great apocalyptic battle rages, but not for long. We'll get to that in a moment. Michael is not one to be overlooked. We see him repeatedly in Scripture. You'll find him in Daniel chapter 10 as the protector of Israel. You'll find him in Jude chapter 9 as the one disputing with our friend about the body of Moses. He is one of only two angels that we even know the names of. Gabriel is the other. His name means one who is like God, 
And he's counterintuitive to Satan, the accuser of the brothers. He serves as the one who wants to serve God versus Satan, the one who wants to be God. I want to ask you, beloved friends, which one of those more closely resembles you? One who wants to serve God or one who wants to have his role? Michael's reach is limited by God's sovereignty. He is not God. But God does grant him great capacity in this war. If we only read verse 7, it is easy to be overwhelmed with the thoughts that perhaps Satan and his forces are somehow equal to God and his. If we only read verse 7, we can get a little depressed because we can think, begin to think, well, this, this outcome is uncertain. We don't know. Maybe God and his, his forces will bend, but maybe not. I want you to see verse 8 and the first few verses of it. But he was defeated. Underline that in your Bible right now. This is the definitive outcome that is ahead for Satan and his forces. They've already lost. They've already lost. So when you begin to feel overwhelmed, when you begin to feel like you are pushed into a corner, I want you to take three things with you about that. The definitive outcome is that Satan and his demons are defeated. Satan is defeated once and for all. Now, when we say that, recognize that this part right here is the first of several losses that will culminate in Revelation 19. We'll get to that later. But we can say with absolute certainty his defeat here is certain. This event is very well linked to the event of Christ on the cross where Satan lost once and for all. Oh, friends, Christ's victory there assured Satan's defeat. There's a second piece to Satan's defeat. You'll see it in verses 8 and 9. Satan is barred from heaven. Now you might say, but Darren, I didn't know Satan was in heaven. Job chapters 1 and 2, if you go back to that book in the Old Testament, you'll see that Job is the topic of conversation in heaven. And the conversation is between the almighty, living, everlasting, sovereign, loving God and the accuser of the brethren, Satan himself. And the topic is about what about Job? What can they do to Job? We don't know, and Scripture doesn't tell us if this conversation has gone on a long time about Job. We only have a, a small window there. And we don't know that Satan has those continuing conversations, but we know this. In verse 8, Satan is barred from heaven. No longer does he have the capacity to accuse God's people to God's face. And in verse 9, Satan and his angels are cast out from heaven. They are thrown down. Thrown down once and for all. Here's a couple things I want you to take home with you. One, 
This same Satan who attacks heaven in the future attacks you now. Don't be surprised, friends, when Satan knocks on your door with temptation. Don't be surprised when he tries to trick you or deceive you or to accuse you or to mislead you. Don't be surprised. And don't let it be a worrisome matter for you because although Satan knows his outcome is certain, he's hoping you don't. He doesn't want you to know that so that he can continue to deceive you. All he's doing is casting shadows. Casting shadows. Things we can't see in the dark scare us most of all, don't they? I shared this story once before, but I'll share it again because it bears repeating. Not so many years ago, I was a youth pastor. We were leading a group of of teenagers at a camp. I had told this one particular group that they should not haze or initiate these younger students. And I set up camp in the dark right outside the younger students dorm knowing good and well those older students would ignore what I said. Sure enough, got to be about 12:30, 1 o'clock in the morning, and I heard something off in the brush that sounded amazingly consistent with how teenage boys would try to be quiet while they snuck through the brush. <laughs> I had a high beam flashlight, and very quietly I stood up and declared with all authority for them to come out of those bushes. And I shined my flashlight and found an armadillo. (laughs) What was expected was not what I got. All they're going to do is roll up and jump up under a car just as they pass. Friends, this is Satan himself. He throws an awful big shadow, but he is a defeated foe. And we need not fear it. Don't you dare let him tell you he's more awesome and powerful than God. He might look that way, but looks are deceiving. Here's another thing I want you to take home. Satan's defeat is certain. So live in Christ's victorious power. Well, how do I do that, Darren? Well, here's where you start. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Colossians 3 says that. And how do you do that? By letting the Word of God have daily place in your life. Letting it speak into your life on a regular basis and letting it rain down upon you. Here's the second way you do it. Spend time talking with God. Oh Lord, the moment that we are in is a painful and difficult one, but it is no doubt one that you already have victory over. Let me stand with you in it, Lord. That's an appropriate prayer. If you can't remember all that, then pray what the man in Mark 6 prayed. I believe, Lord, help me in my unbelief. Satan's defeat is certain. So live in Christ's victorious power. Let us move on. A great victory. Salvation and power have overcome Thus says Revelation 12, 10 and 11. Let me read it again. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, 
who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even to death. Verse 10 makes it clear. Victory is proclaimed. Everybody likes to win. I'm a pretty lousy loser, but I'm a really good winner. Maybe you are too. If that's you, then verse 10 is for you. It is for those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have have taken that first step of faith that you saw our friends on the video earlier. It is for those of us who are calling on the name of Jesus to be ours. Victory is proclaimed. I want you to see this. It is not by our authority. It is not by our power. It's not by our strength, but rather by the salvation, by the power, and through the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ. This is God's work being done in and through us, friends. This is not about you. It's not about how strong you are, how fast you are, how much you can lift or how far you can run. This has nothing to do with you and everything to do with what's been done for you. Victory has been proclaimed on your behalf. This, beloved friends, means that Jesus wants you just where you are. Oh, if you've never invited Christ into your life, then today let that be your decision. Let this be the day that you say, Jesus, until this moment I didn't understand that you'd won everything, but now I realize your victory really does mean that you're sovereign, that your righteousness will come to pass. And then at just the right time, you'll stand supreme over it all. Oh, if that's you today, then i got good news for you. In just a minute, we're going to invite you to come down, right down here to the front. Yes, we're bringing the invitation back today. We're going to invite you to come right down here to the front and talk to me. Talk to one of my staff members and find how you can participate in the victory that Jesus has already won. Victory is proclaimed, but that's not all. How will we get to that victory? The victory here means several things. One, it means Satan's days as an accuser are no more. There's nobody left to accuse you before God. It means that you, you are free because of the victory that Christ has won on your behalf. Now, if you are not in Christ, that word is not for you. I want to remind you what Revelation is about. It is about a word of encouragement to those who are faithful to Christ that things will not always be as they are. Celebrate and live in the victory of Christ. And it means another thing. It's a word of warning to those who are not in Christ. It means for those who are not in Christ, things will not always be as they are. So don't think or be surprised when things change. Prepare accordingly. If you're outside of Christ, don't be surprised when his victory leaves you on the outside looking in. If you're today walking with Christ, then here's good news. It means Satan's accusations fall on deaf ears because he is an accuser no more. How will we get there? Three weapons. Three weapons will bring victory. One, the lamb's blood. I've heard a lot of conversations in recent days, meaning the last couple of years, 
about how objectionable it is to talk about blood as an atoning sacrifice, blood as a, a means by which we are bought and paid for. Didn't, isn't God a bloodthirsty thing if he needs that? No. The only means by which we have standing before God is the blood of the Lamb of Christ. We might find it objectionable, but it's not our debt, but it is our debt that gets paid, and it is the one who is receiving that payment, God himself, who welcomes us home. See, the reality is, through our own choices, our own mistakes, and our own sin, we'd sold ourselves into sin. We'd sold ourselves into slavery. Shackles around our ankles and our hands, we had sold ourselves wholeheartedly and willingly into slavery, to sin. There was only one means by which that could change. The blood of the Lamb. And as it was poured out upon us, those shackles fell away. How do we participate in the Lamb's blood now since that's so very long ago? The word of their testimony. In other words, the act of faith, of acknowledging who God is and the victory that Jesus came to bring enables me to participate in the victory God has. Oh, now we're getting down to it. Our word of faith, as humble and meager as it might be, reflects our confidence in God's grace and our willingness to act in faith and respond to him. That second tool only comes when we engage the first one. And that third one is what grows out of the second one. Faithfulness in Christ and not their own or our own preservation. Faithfulness to Christ. They loved their lives not as much as they loved Jesus. Jim Elliott was a missionary in the 50s. He was a young man. He and a group of other missionaries went down to Ecuador where they were sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with a group of what we might call savages, people who were unreached. What we call now an unreached people group. They had reached out to them in a number of ways and thought they had set up a bridge to bring the gospel to them. It wasn't until they were slaughtered Jim and his friends, that they realized they were wrong. When they began to go through Jim's journals, they found a statement that he'd written, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's written in several places in my journals. It's a quote from Jim and a reminder that I can't keep what I have, but I can keep what God gave me. Friends, this is the essence of faithfulness to Christ. It means that I recognize this life is not eternal, but that my life in Christ is. Just yesterday, we held a service, funeral service, for our friend Lola Kerr. Lola was a part of our church for nearly 80 years. Let me say that again. 80 years, 8 zero. Our church has 136 years worth of history. She was here for more than half of it. Chew on that for a minute, will you? 
reason I bring that to mind is because it's the one thing that I heard Lola say over and over again, at least in her actions, if not in her words, faithfulness to Christ is the only thing that matters. May we be wise enough to follow her example. Here's a couple of things I want you to take home with you. Stop trying to earn what God has already given you. So many people want to earn the victory. Our victory is in Christ, not ourselves. So stop trying to perform and make God impressed with who you are. And instead, embrace the idea that Jesus came for you and that his blood shed on your behalf is enough to allow you to call on him in faith and to live in faith even if it costs you your life. Here's the second thing I want you to take home with you. To prepare for eternity, build your legacy in Christ now. Start today. This is the moment that God has given us to prepare for eternity. What will you do with it? Let us move on swiftly. In Revelation 12, 12, we have a warning to the earth. Verse 12 reads this way, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. The devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. You see, Satan's anger overflows at his defeat. He's thrown out of heaven, and in rage he strikes out wildly at those around him. Herein is the worst part of the tribulation, and it's what we will see when we come back next week. Next week we will talk about Revelation 13, and we will talk about the beast, and yes, we will talk about who the beast is. Maybe you can help me gather a crowd next week for that very topic. Who is the beast? We'll talk about that next week, but let's be clear. Satan, no longer able to accuse God's people in heaven, seeks to attack and vent his wrath at those on earth. Intense pain comes through this woe. The pain, however, is short-lived. I want you to see the end of verse 12, and maybe even underline these words, his time is short. We know he's already lost, and friends, so does he. He knows he is lost. That brings me to the last thing for this. Satan's anger overflows at his short timetable. He wants to push back as hard as he can while he has that opportunity. Here's a couple of things to take home for you. In the face of persecution, which will come for those of us in Christ, seek the peace of Christ. Not political endorsement, not freedom, not any sort of liberty, the peace of Christ. When persecution comes, many of us want to justify ourselves in one way or another or make a law that says we can't be persecuted. I want you to see this. If we're going to find our real hope, our true hope, it is not anywhere politically or anywhere socially or anywhere morally. It is simply in the peace of Christ. That's where we'll find our hope. Take this home too. 
Remember that Satan's reign is limited. Don't let him scare you. And now let us conclude this chapter with a couple of last thoughts. We see an attack upon the woman, the one who gave birth to the Messiah. See it in verse 13 through 17. And when the dragon saw he'd been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, but the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she was to be nourished for a time, a times, and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood, but the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river the dragon had poured from his mouth. And the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Here we see persecution and deliverance. Satan's persecution and God's deliverance of the woman. We said last week this woman is most likely Israel. We'll talk some more about this tonight at 5 at 5. But what I want you to see here is this. Defeated, Satan looks for another angle, somewhere where he can pour out his wrath. And so what does he do? He takes it out on the woman. He singles out the woman in order that he might punish God for what he's experienced. The deliverance God grants, however, is for the woman. This is one of the most unusual passages we find in Revelation. See it in verse 14. She was given two wings of the great eagle. She might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time of times and half a time. This phrase at the end speaks to a limited window of Satan's attack. He has opportunity to attack, but it's short. God has restricted it. Now, we don't know exactly how we measure time, times, and half the time, but we know this. Our God in his wisdom has restricted Satan's attacks. If you're feeling overwhelmed by his attacks today, realize his time is short. And that this, this wings... These wings that God gives the woman, I believe, and you'll hear me say more about it tonight at 5 at 5, this is a picture of God's deliverance. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God delivering his people with eagle's wings and lifting them up and giving them the capacity to soar. Have you ever seen an eagle fly? It looks so effortless. They just look like they're just rolling along with no energy and no effort, as if they could do it forever. It's always been that way. Friends, I want to tell you today, this eagle reference, these wings, they are the hands of God as he picks up and delivers them from the wrath of Satan. This time, times and half a time, is a veiled reference to the tribulation and its limited understanding. There can be no misunderstanding. God will deliver his people. That doesn't mean the dragon will back off. His wrath and the serpent's attempts to defeat the woman will elicit a response from the earth. 
He will use any and all means. He will pour out, if it were possible, his wrath through the created order. We find here an unusual moment where it seems Satan has some measure of authority over the natural world around us as he pours forth the water. I want you to see how God responds and how the created order responds to that. The earth opens up and swallows it rather than see the woman defeated. Have we seen that before? Oh yeah. Go back to Numbers chapter 6. There you'll find Korah's rebellion. (laughs) I love that one. Korah led a rebellion against Moses and God said, okay, Moses, this is what you do. Gather everybody with you on one side and gather everybody with Korah over on another. Don't stand too close, Moses. When God arranged it so, then an amazing thing happened. The earth under Korah and those with him opened up and swallowed not only them, but everything that belonged to them. And then the earth sealed back up over them. Friends, I want to tell you, Satan and his attacks are real. So don't fall asleep in the light. I want you to take this home. Don't fall asleep in the light. Satan's attacks are real and legitimate. Don't be surprised by them. Prepare your mind and your heart accordingly. Here's the second thing I want you to take home, and this is the last piece. Spiritual warfare is a necessary component. Prepare for it now. Now we come to the place where you'll decide what to do with this. There are several things you can do, and one of them is obvious. Nothing. You can ignore all of it and set it aside and say it's the ramblings of a madman. And maybe you're right. After this week especially, perhaps, though, you would be wiser to say, Have I protected myself from the attacks Satan is sure to bring? Perhaps you would say, I've never responded to Christ as my Savior, and I need to today. Then here's what you get a chance to do today. In just a moment, it's been a while since we've done this, we're going to invite you to come forward to meet me or one of my staff right down here in front. Oh, friends, today's the day that you can respond to him. You don't have to. I can't make you. And quite frankly, neither can God. But he longs for you to. He longs for you to call on the name of Jesus and to invite him into your life and for you to say to him, Yes, Jesus, I need the victory that you've already won. I know Satan is limited. Would you, Jesus, do your work in me now? Perhaps this week has been a long and challenging one for you and you just need someone to pray for you. Then I want you to come down and let me pray for you. Maybe you need to come to this altar and spend some time talking to the Lord about what's happened in your life, a burden that is bearing down on you, a problem you're facing that seems to have no end. There's something awfully powerful about giving physical action to a spiritual reality. And today is your day to do it. Maybe you watched the baptisms at the start of the 
uh, earlier in the service and you said, I need to do that myself. Come down and let's talk about that. Let me pray for you, my brothers and sisters. Oh, Jesus, today, this day is the one you've given us to respond to you. I know, Lord, that Satan is alive and well and that he, in his anger, in his wrath, would love to distract and destroy all of us who are God's people. Today, Lord Jesus, we proclaim our hope in you and you alone. We have none other than you, Lord. And I pray for those who are under the sound of my voice who are saying, I need that hope in my life. I need that hope today in my journey. Today, Jesus, we reach out to you for that very thing. I pray for those who need to respond today, Lord, whoever they are, and that you give them both freedom and boldness to step out and come down here. It takes a lot of courage, Lord. I pray that you would put it on their hearts and that right now would be their opportunity. Do your work here, Lord Jesus. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.